Good morning, church. The one who is, who was, who is to come. Our God is so very good. I love each and every one of you, whether you are here in this auditorium or you are watching online, whether you are a member or you are a guest, we are so thankful for your presence. We are so thankful for who you are and for you allowing God to work in and through you. We love you so very much. We have been going through this series about death the last few weeks, and as we wrap up this series talking about the death of death, I think it's helpful to reflect on the fact that every religious group in the whole world, and probably every religious group that has ever been, has had some sort of thought about the afterlife, some sort of belief about the afterlife, some sort of thinking about what happens when the body dies. What happens with the spirit? Does the spirit live on? In what form does the spirit live on? What happens with the spirit when our bodies die? Even non-religious people have thoughts about the afterlife and have maybe hopes and dreams about the afterlife. In fact, we've probably all seen television shows or movies. There was a TV show on NBC not too long ago that was all about the afterlife. Even people that don't believe in God or in any God believe in some sort of afterlife. Very commonly, people will believe that something happens with the spirit after the body dies. And of course, as Christians, we believe that when our bodies die, that we go, Paul says, go to be with the Lord, or the book of Revelation says that we are at rest. And so we do believe in an afterlife. But I want to point this out, that there are two things, two beliefs which together make Christianity incredibly unique. Two things that make Christianity incredibly unique. First is obviously what we believe about Jesus. The first is what we believe about Jesus. We believe that the crucified and risen Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he reigns currently over heaven and earth. That is a very unique aspect and belief of Christianity. But the second is what we believe about death what we believe about death. Again, in nearly every religion and even in non-religious thinking, there is very often a thought that after someone dies, the spirit lives on in some way, in some form, in some place, but most people believe that once a person dies, then death wins over their body. Right? Most people believe that when a person dies, that death has had victory over the body and the body will stay dead. But Christians do not believe that death has that victory. Death does not get to have the final word about our bodily existence. As Christians, we don't believe that death gets to have the final word about our bodily existence. That's one of the things that makes Christianity incredibly unique. We don't believe death wins over our bodily existence. Amen? We don't believe that death wins over our bodily existence. We don't believe that death gets to have the final word on our bodily existence. Most people believe that once a person's body dies, that that body will stay dead forever. But as Christians, we don't believe that death gets to have the final word over our bodily existence, that we will once again have a bodily 
existence. Now, for a lot of us, though, that might cause some trepidation because, as has already been pointed out this morning, that our bodily existence is fraught with some frustration, isn't it? Our bodily existence is fraught with some frustration. A lot of our frustration in life is tied to our bodily existence. Many of us, probably most of us, have one frustration or another with our bodies, right? A lot of our pain, a lot of our frustration, a lot of our anguish, a lot of our anxiety is tied to our bodily existence. And so maybe we might be tempted to adopt a way of thinking that says, I don't really want an embodied experience. I want to be a disembodied spirit. But there is hope for a bodily existence that is good. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's already been read for us this morning, but I think it's good to go back to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2. Paul says, and again, as Mike pointed out this morning, that when he talks about the tent, he's talking about our bodies, our current bodies. He says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, that phrase right there, that should remind us of how we started this series, right? Remember on Easter Sunday, we talked about that one day God will swallow up death forever. Paul says that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. But he says that this bodily existence that we are living in now, our bodies right now are like a tent. Have you ever gone camping and the weather was less than perfect? You ever been out in a tent and maybe the wind starts to blow and the whole tent is starting to shake and the flaps are starting to flap and maybe even one of the tent, uh, the, the strings and the tent poles and the, the pegs that are holding it down, maybe one of them comes up and maybe the rain starts to get in the tent and it starts to leak and the whole thing is just a mess. Now you're asking yourself all kinds of questions, including why did I ever agree to this in the first place? Why am I out here? But what you don't want, you might want to be done with your tent existence, but what you don't want to be is just outside by yourself, right? You're not saying, I wish I didn't have a tent, right? That's not what you're saying. You're not saying, I wish I didn't have a tent. You're saying, I wish my tent became a permanent house, right? Because it's not the fact that you're in a tent that's the problem. It's the fact that your tent is a tent and it's not a permanent house. And that's what Paul is saying, He's saying that the problem that we're experiencing right now isn't tied to the fact that we have a body. It's tied to the fact that our body is so very imperfect. And he says it's not that we're longing to be a disembodied spirit. It's not that we're longing to be, he says, naked. We're not not longing to be a naked spirit, to be a spirit without a body. What we're longing for is a better body. We're not wanting to die. The Christian hope is not to die. The Christian hope is to be done dying. Let me say that again. The Christian hope is not to die. The Christian hope is to be done dying. That's the problem, isn't it? 
with all of our frustrations, with all of our anguish, with all of our anxiety that's tied to this body, it's the fact that from the moment we're born, these bodies begin dying. From the moment we're born, these bodies reveal themselves to be mortal. They're like a leaky tent. They're like a tent whose tent pegs are coming up all around, and they're frustrating, and in this tent we groan. But, but we're not groaning to, to be unclothed. We're not groaning to be done with a bodied experience, an embodied experience. We're, we're groaning to have a better body, an, a permanent body, a, a body that won't wear out, a body that won't get sick, a body that won't die, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Listen to how the New Living Translation puts this passage. He says, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. See, so often I think we get this just a little bit backwards so that we almost make death the hero of the story. But again, our desire isn't to die. Our desire should be to be done dying, not to just be done with bodies, but to have better bodies. And that's what we will receive in the resurrection. Don't get me wrong, we will, our spirits will live. Our our spirits will be with the Lord when we die. Our spirits will be at rest with the Lord when we die. But, But there's something better. There's a better body. There's a better body to experience. And that's what we're longing for, is a permanent body that we will receive in the resurrection. When Jesus comes and we're raised from the dead, we will get a body that won't be like this temporary tent. It won't get sick. It won't die. It won't hurt. It won't groan. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 12, his question for them is pretty simple. The question of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is is very simple. It's how can some of you say, it's the next slide, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he's talking about the fact that there were some people in Corinth that had apparently gotten the idea that there wasn't going to be a coming resurrection. There wasn't going to be one day when Jesus comes and all the dead will be raised and transformed and their, their old bodies that are, that are flesh and blood, their old bodies that wear out, their old bodies that are perishable, their old bodies that are mortal will be transformed into immortal and imperishable bodies. Some people in Corinth were saying that's not true. That's not going to happen. There's not going to be a day like that. And for Paul, this is a big deal because everything is tied to the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, how can some of you say that there is going to be no resurrection of the dead? And for Paul, for somebody to say that was tantamount to saying, then Jesus himself wasn't raised from the dead. For Paul to say that there wasn't going to come a day of resurrection where bodies will literally be raised from the dead and be transformed is tantamount to denying the faith. And so Paul says everything hinges on this hope. Everything hinges on this hope. Look at what he says in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. 
He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one, by a man, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, Paul's whole point, and he says there are hundreds of people living right now as he was writing the letter. There were hundreds of people alive that could testify to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, that death did not have victory over the Messiah's body. It wasn't just that Jesus' spirit lived on. Of course, Jesus' spirit lived on, but his body came out of the tomb and his body was raised. His body was immortal and imperishable and there were hundreds of people living at that time who could testify to that fact. And Paul's whole point is that Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, what happened with Jesus will happen with all of Jesus' people. That at his coming, all of his people will be raised from the dead. At his coming, everyone will be resurrected. Verse 24, then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I love that phrase, don't you? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Imagine if somebody was telling you a fairy tale and they said something like there was this beautiful princess and she was captured by this horrible, ugly dragon and this dragon locked her away in a tower and this brave knight worked his way up the tower and found the princess. The end. (laughs) You... Wait, that can't be the end of the story. You can't end the story right there, right? They can't stay in the tower. And, and what happened to the dragon? And, and who's going to kill the dragon? And who's going to rescue the princess? You, you can't end the story right there. But so often, that's how we end the story, isn't it? They died. No, 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 stop. That's not the end of the story. When God's people die, that's not the end of the story. Don't, don't end the story with someone dying. End the story with death dying. Because the end of the story is that death dies. At the end of the story, God's people are raised and death does not get to have the final word on the bodily existence of God's people. God will raise us from the dead and death will not win over our bodies. Other people may believe that, but we don't believe that. We don't believe that death gets to win. We believe that God wins, that death is defeated, that death is destroyed, that death is no more. And at the final coming of Jesus, death itself will be destroyed and all of its work reversed and undone. The Bible affirms, affirms the way we feel about death. When someone dies, when someone dies, we have to try to convince ourselves that it's not so bad. But but Scripture helps us to understand that death is bad. Death does hurt. Death is an enemy. And that God wins over death. Death will be destroyed. Death will be defeated. Death itself will die. The last enemy to be destroyed is Death. Now, we may wonder, we may wonder, like, when we're, when we're raised from the dead, 
like, what's that going to be like? And what's our body going to be like? And, and what, what's an immortal body like anyway? What's a body like that doesn't hurt? A body, what's a body like that doesn't ache? What's a body like that doesn't grow old? What's a body like that cannot die? What's a body, what's a body like that is a resurrection body? But unfortunately, in Corinth, those questions because they didn't have any answers to those questions, were leading people to scoff and say, well, I can't, I can't imagine what that body would be like. And so since I can't imagine what that might be like, then I'm just going to deny that that's ever going to happen. Listen to what Paul says in verse 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So do you see what he's saying? He's not calling us foolish for being curious. Well, what's that body going to be like? He's calling them foolish for scoffing. He's calling them foolish because they have concluded there is no resurrection because they can't possibly imagine what that new body will be like. Because he says, it's like when you plant a seed, like when you plant a kernel, it becomes something new. And what comes from it is different than it was before. Now, now make sure that we understand that he's not saying you get a new body when you die. You don't get a new body when you die. You become a new body. Your, your old body becomes a new body at the resurrection. Your old body becomes a new body in the resurrection. And Paul, all Paul can say to us about that is, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Everything that hurts now won't hurt anymore. Everything that aches now won't ache anymore. Well, everything that groans now won't groan anymore. It will be as different as a seed is from the plant that grows from it. So he says in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You see, this current body, as it is, it is the product of natural reproduction. All of our bodies are the product of natural reproduction. They are natural bodies. And the first body, Adam's first body, came from the dirt. They're just naturally reproduced dirt bodies. But he says this new body, when this body is sown in the grave, it's going to be raised, and it's going to be transformed, and it's going to be imperishable, and it's going to be a spiritual body. In other words, it's going to be empowered, not just by natural reproduction, but empowered by the Spirit of God. This is a natural body, and then it will be transformed to be something more than a natural body. Look at verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Remember Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, these, these words are almost mocking death, aren't they? These words are almost mocking death. Where's your power now, death? Where's your sting now, death? Jesus stole it from you. Where's your power now, death? Jesus stole your power. 
Jesus stole your sting. Even right now, even right now, as death is still too much of a reality for every single one of us, Jesus has already stolen its power. Jesus has already stolen its sting. And one day, death will be swallowed up forever. Look at the next verse. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Death had a claim on us as long as we were sinners. But now we're something else, aren't we? Now we're something else. Now we've been forgiven. Now we've been made holy. Now we've been redeemed. Now we've been sanctified. And the power of sin has been taken away. And so now death has no claim on you. Are we still going to die? Yes, we're going to die. This mortal body will die. And death will temporarily interrupt our work, but it won't defeat our work. Death can interrupt but it cannot overcome the work we do in the Lord. Death can interrupt our work. Death can interrupt our life. But it cannot overcome the work we do in the Lord. Death loses. God wins. And the end is already assured. One last verse I want us to think about as we close. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 Paul is writing, again, to encourage the church at Thessalonica about the resurrection, and he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. We don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope. Now, notice we, we, we quote this all of the time as Christians. We quote it to one another. We quote it in funerals. We remind ourselves of this, that we do not grieve as others who have no hope. But listen, it doesn't mean that the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that we are any less sad or that we have any less grief. What it does mean is that we simply have more hope. We don't have less sadness, we simply have more hope. So grieve with as much sadness as you need, just don't grieve without hope. That's what we have, is we have hope. We grieve with as much sadness as anyone in the world. We just grieve with hope. In fact, we could say this, that hope is the only way we cope. Hope is the only way we cope. Hope is the only way we get through things. And when we say hope, again, we mean confident expectation. We know what's coming. We know that Jesus lives, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus in his body got up and walked out of the tomb never to die again. And we know that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. We know these things. And hope is the only way we cope. It's the only way we get through difficult things. We don't cope by minimizing, we don't cope by minimizing the pain of the present, but by maximizing God's promise of the future. But that's what we tend to do, isn't it? 
minimize the pain of the present and say it's, it's not really so bad and there's a silver lining and, and it's not really as bad as it seems. We, we tend to cope by minimizing the pain of the present. But I think scripture affirms that you don't have to do that. You don't have to cope by minimizing the pain of the present. You cope by maximizing the promises of the future that we endure the present. We endure the present as painful as it may be in light of the future that we know is true. We cope by hope. Hope is the only way we cope. And not just with grief. There's some of us this morning that we're grieving the loss of loved ones the loss of jobs, the loss of situations, the loss of opportunities, the loss of dreams, the loss of whatever. Maybe it is that you're grieving this morning. And the only way we cope with grief is through hope that we know, we know that the way things are aren't the way things will always be. But maybe, maybe it's something else that we're suffering with. Maybe it's just pain in this body. Maybe our body is groaning. Maybe we're hurting. Maybe maybe we're frustrated. Maybe we're anxious. Maybe we're in anguish. And the way we deal with that is we hope that the way things are aren't the way things will always be. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we're upset. Maybe we're frustrated, not just with ourselves, but with others. Maybe we're struggling with our own sin. Maybe we're struggling with our own temptation. Maybe we're struggling with one thing or another, and we have to learn to cope. And the way we cope is with hope, knowing that the way things are aren't the way things will always be. And that knowledge... That knowledge that what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do fills us with joy. And it changes the way that we do everything. Hope changes the way we do everything. Hope changes the way we pray. Hope changes the way we interact with each other. Hope changes the way we grieve. Hope changes the way we struggle. Hope changes the way we're angry. Hope changes the way we're frustrated. Hope changes the way that we're sad. Hope doesn't minimize the pain of the present, but it does maximize the promises of God's future. See, this is the life that we're stepping into when we're baptized into Jesus, not into a life that's free of pain, not into a life that's free of temptation, not into a life that's free of frustration, but into a life of hope and resurrected to walk in that newness of life. And every now and then along the way, even after we've been baptized, we have to encourage one another to have hope because it can be difficult to cope with the way things are, but we know that the way things are, are not the way things will always be. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Death loses, God wins, and that knowledge, that hope is the way that we cope. So we can help you to cope if we can help you with whatever it is you're struggling with this morning. Our shepherds would love to visit with you at the information desk as together we stand and sing this final song.